How's everybody doing? I hope we're on uh, Facebook. Hey, this is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. I'm a talk show host, researcher, lecturer, writer. How's everybody doing today? It is Monday, April 14th, 2017, and we are live. We have a lot to talk about. You know, I did a... Uh, I did a video Saturday, uh, Sunday morning, early Sunday morning. I did a video about uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, and the um, white supremacist attack in Charlottesville. Um, the neo-Nazis, white nationalists, white supremacists protesting. And uh, we broadcast it here on Facebook Live. It's been viewed... Um, about 60,000 times. Okay, so thanks to people viewing that. And uh, we're gonna, gonna do a few things. I'm, we're gonna do an update on that. I also wanna talk about um, Donald Trump lashing out at the African-American CEO of Merck Pharmaceuticals today. Uh, his name is uh, Kenneth Frazier. And Kenneth Frazier resigned from um, the uh, economic committee that he was on, uh, Donald Trump's economic committee, because of Trump's uh, response to Charlottesville. Okay, so within two hours of Kenneth Frazier resigning and, 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 and posting his message, uh, Donald Trump attacks him, but it takes Donald Trump two days to make a decent response to Charlottesville. So Donald Trump held a press conference today and he um, gave um, a, a better response to Charlottesville. It still wasn't a good presidential response to actually denounce not just white supremacy and racism, not just denounce the neo-Nazis and the hate groups, but also say he does not want their support. He does not want them wearing Make America Great Again hats. At, at, at their rallies, he didn't denounce David Duke, okay? Because David Duke said on Saturday at the rally, former uh, Imperial Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, David Duke said, this represents a turning point for the people of this country. We are determined to take our country back. We are going to fulfill the promises of Donald Trump. He, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't distance himself from these people because this, th these people voted for him and he knows this. So, and then the other thing was when you watch the press conference today, cause I watched it live, Donald Trump didn't, he ran, he quickly ran away from the podium, ran off camera. He didn't take any questions. I wonder why. Okay. So we're going to talk some about that. So we'll deal with um, his attack, his quick attack on the park pharmaceutical, African-American park uh, Merck pharmaceutical uh, CEO. Then we'll deal with Donald Trump's attempt to uh, denounce um, the white supremacist organizations, the KKK neo-Nazis. He said they were repugnant, right? He didn't say he didn't want their support. Check that out. He didn't say he didn't want their support. He didn't say that, that, your, that your agenda is not my agenda. He didn't say that. Okay, so we'll talk some about that also. 
we'll do a, a quick update on Charlottesville, what's taking place in Charlottesville. We know that um, the 20-year-old um, man who, uh, James Alex Fields Jr., we know he was arraigned today in court, given a court-appointed attorney, said he can't afford an attorney. He said he makes like $600 a week, I think he said. Very interesting. So we'll deal with that. And then also, you know, I teach an online course on Fridays called Ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. There's a 12-hour, six-week online course. And uh, we deal with the uh, origins of a lot of things that we see right now. So we understand how to deal with them. Uh, we'll do an overview of that online course also, okay? All right, so how's everybody doing today? It's been a crazy, crazy weekend uh, with Charlottesville. And then in Seattle, in Seattle, Washington, on Sunday, you had um, um, an, an, a white nationalist um, march as well, protests also in Seattle. It did not get out of hand like it did in Charlottesville. I watched it live on MSNBC in Seattle and the police in Seattle did the right thing because they formed a barrier between the uh, white nationalists who were protesting and the counter protesters. They formed a barrier. Okay. Which kept, which kept them from getting into physical altercations for the most part. Okay. So they did the right thing with that. That's why Seattle didn't blow up like um, uh, Charlottesville did, okay? All right, so share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in also. Share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in also, okay? We have the information posted here for the broadcast. Um, how you doing, Deborah and Shantae? And uh, who else we have here? Candice, Erica. Uh, just a few of the people watching, you know, we have people across the country watching, share this broadcast on your own Facebook page, invite your friends to tune in also, be sure to register for, uh, the online course that I teach ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Cause we deal with thousands of years of our history. And we deal with uh, the history of a lot of what you're seeing play out right now. Okay. All right. So let me jump right into it. Um, a lot of people didn't know that the CEO of Merck Pharmaceuticals was African-American, right? His name is Kevin C. Frazier. Kevin C. Frazier. He's one of the few African-American CEOs in um, uh, of a Fortune 500 company. If you read blackenterprise.com, blackenterprise.com, which I do, or Black Enterprise Magazine, you'll sometimes see him in there, okay? Well, they'll talk about him. Um, so the, the story came out today, and the Washington Post has a really good story about this that has recently been updated as of 6.45 p.m. this evening. Trump fires back after the CEO of Merck resigned from his manufacturing council. Trump fires back after the CEO of Merck resigned from his manufacturing council, okay? And 
first of all, why would you attack this guy for resigning? That's the first thing. All right. Now, the chief executive of Merck said on Monday in a tweet that he was resigning from President Trump's manufacturing council, the manufacturing council, saying he was doing so, quote, as a CEO of Merck and as a matter of personal conscience, end quote, as a CEO of Merck pharmaceutical company and as a matter of personal conscience. Um, he, he goes on to say America's leaders must honor our fundamental values by clearly exp uh, by clearly rejecting expressions of leaders, um, hatred, bigotry and group supremacy, which run counter to the American idea that all people are created equal. Let me repeat this. Kevin C. Frazier, African-American uh, CEO of Merck Pharmaceuticals, Fortune 500 company. He said he was resigning today from President Trump's manufacturing council. And he said he was doing so, he said, as a CEO of Merck and as a matter of personal conscience, America's leaders must honor our fundamental values by clearly rejecting expressions of hatred, bigotry, and group supremacy, which run counter to the American idea that all people are created equal. Now, in the state, in the statement, uh, Kenneth C. Frazier said, quote, I feel a responsibility to take a stand against intolerance and extremism. Okay. Our country's uh, strength stems from its diversity and the contributions made by men and women of different faith, races, sexual orientations, and political beliefs. Now, within an hour after the statement was first issued, within an hour after the statement was first issued, Donald Trump tweeted his initial response. He said, now that Ken Frazier of Merck Pharma has resigned from President's Manufacturing Council, he will have more time to lower ripoff drug prices. He will have more time to lower ripoff drug prices. Now he responded, I thought it was two hours, actually it was an hour. He, within an hour of Kenneth Frazier uh, releasing his, his first, uh, he, releasing his initial statement, Donald Trump tweets about this and attacks him who was on his manufacturing council and resigned from his manufacturing council. It took Trump two days to make a decent statement about the white supremacist attack in Charlottesville. And you had one person who died in the latest reports that I heard um, on MSNBC is actually 34 injured. Initially it was about 19 injured, but the latest reports I heard was it was a total of 34 people injured. It took him two days to make a decent, halfway decent comment about that because it wasn't as strong as it should have been. And he did not take questions after he made the statement today also. Now, on Monday evening, Donald Trump tweeted about uh, Kenneth Frazier's company a second time, again, referencing drug prices. Trump tweeted, Mark Pharma is a leader in higher and higher drug prices while at the same time taking jobs out of the US. Bring jobs back and lower prices. Imagine that. Now, Donald Trump has not talked about manufacturing 
his products and his clothing in the U.S. Most of that stuff is made overseas. He hasn't talked about that, but he taxed all these other companies for exporting jobs. Um, so you can check out this article um, here from the Washington Post. They have a really good article. It's recently updated also. We'll post a link here uh, on the thread of our broadcast for this article. You can check this out. Um, Trump fires back after the CEO of Merck resigned from his manufacturing council. Now, personally, I wouldn't I couldn't have been as a self-respecting African-American man. I couldn't be on his council in the first place. I know he's representing Merck, but I tell him you have to get somebody else. I can't I can't be here. You know, he, there are pictures of him sitting next to Trump. I couldn't be. No, you you don't want me sitting next to Trump. I'll tell you that right now. Um. So now Fraser's resignation followed an outcry by critics about how President Trump had responded to protests over the weekend in Charlottesville that were led by white supremacist groups and turned violent. Many questioned why Donald Trump had not explicitly named neo-Nazi Ku Klux Klan or white nationalist groups when he said, quote, we condemn in the strong, so Saturday he made statements. He said, we condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides, on many sides. That's too ambiguous. And then the founder of the Daily Stormer, which is one of the leading white supremacist um, websites, the founder of the Daily Stormer actually said that um, Huffington Post Black Voices has an article about this. Other outlets have picked this up. Neo-Nazi site Daily Stormer praises Trump's Charlottesville reaction. Quote, unquote, he loves us all. Quote, unquote, he loves us all. When at the, the, the founder of the Daily Storm said when asked to condemn, he just walked out of the room. Really good. I said, really, really good. God bless him. This is what they had on their website. It was on their website until Google canceled their hosting account with them. I said, no, GoDaddy. GoDaddy canceled their hosting account. Okay, over the last couple of days, then they tried to set up with Google today and Google canceled their hosting account also. And it was uh, directly related to an article that they wrote about uh, Heather Hare, Hare, the 32 year old um, a white woman who was killed. Okay, who was killed um, in Charlottesville. Okay, in the protests in Charlottesville. All right, let's see here. Okay, so. Uh, neo not check out this article Huffington Post uh, dot com neo Nazi site Daily Stormer praises Trump Charlottesville reaction. He loves us all. All right. Now, if you listen to any of my broadcasts, you can go back in our archives. If you go to African History Network dot com, you can listen to my uh, podcast, my audio podcast. We have almost 800 of them. Okay. Those, those who've been following me and follow us on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network. Those who have been following me know that I've been warning people about Trump for months. I've been warning people about Trump for months. OK, people who follow me know this. 
And I've been talking about his ties to the support he's been getting from white supremacist organizations. So my question to you is, why are you surprised? Because I've been warning people about him for months. I'm surprised that you're surprised, as Dr. John Henry Clark used to say. Pre uh, President Trump is coming under fire from both sides of the aisle for his unwillingness to explicitly condemn the role of white supremacists at the deadly protests in Virginia on Saturday. Um, Senator Cory Gardner, because you had some Republicans coming out now who were who are condemning Trump's initial statements. Right. Even though some of them are white supremacists themselves, they're just not out in the streets pushing people, but they're trying to take away people's health care. They voted for Jefferson Borgar Sessions III to be attorney general, right? They're, they're, they're doing things with the laws to attack African-Americans. They support voter suppression laws, things like this, okay? But they're not, they're not in the streets with uh, wearing, wearing neo-Nazi symbols, things like this, okay? So they, they, may, they may not be as overt and upfront. But you no, know, a lot of them are white supremacist segregation segregationists also. I don't know if Senator Cory Gardner is. I'm not saying he is. I'm not talking about him. I'm just saying you have some who are grandstanding, you know, and they're, they're passing laws that are they're passing laws that are more dangerous than what the neo-Nazis were doing in the street on in Charlottesville. So Senator Cory Gardner said we must call evil by its name. He urged uh, Donald Trump, who had earlier told reporters that many sides were to blame for the violence in Charlottesville. Um, it is, uh, let's see. Senator Brian Schatz, Democrat from Hawaii, tweeted on Saturday. He said it, it is not too much to ask to have a president who explicitly condemns Nazis. OK, it took Trump two days to condemn Nazis. Imagine that. And the U.S. fought against Nazis in World War Two. It took Trump two days to condemn Nazis or neo-Nazis. OK, so but when you look at this, when you look at this uh, now, this article from the Huffington Post. Is from Sunday, August 13th, it was posted at 1215 p.m. Once again, name of the article, neo-Nazi site Daily Stormer praises Trump's Charlottesville reaction. Quote, he loves us all. And. When you, when okay, I'm gonna go to the comments again. Okay, so reacting to Trump's words on Saturday, the neo-Nazi website, the Daily Stormer, praised the president's comments as "quote unquote" good. Andrew Anglin, A N G L I N, Andrew Anglin, is the founder of the Daily Stormer website. He said he didn't attack us. He just said the nation should come together. Nothing specific against us. No condemnation at all. When asked to condemn, he just walked out of the room. Really, really good. God bless him. And he was called out on Twitter by Soledad O'Brien also. Soledad O'Brien posted, she said, in case you're wondering if President Trump inspires neo-Nazis, this is from their publication, The Daily Stormer. Now, the Southern, Southern Poverty Law Center describes The Daily Stormer as a website dedicated to, quote, spreading anti-Semitism, neo-Nazism, and white nationalism. 
uh, quote unquote, uh, Jewish problem and race war are among the editorial sections that can be found on the website. Jewish problem and race war. Former Ku Klux Klan Grand Wizard David Duke said on Saturday that the white supremacist demonstration in Charlottesville called Unite the Right, because this was, this was the name of, in Charlottesville, this was the name of that rally, Unite the Right, okay? And the rally was initially protesting the removal of a statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee. Uh David Duke said uh, that, that, that this protest was in line with promises made by Donald Trump. OK, and I, I shared with you already what uh, uh, David Duke said. All right. So check out that article from Huffington Post. Neo-Nazi site Daily Storm appraises Trump's Charlottesville reaction. Quote unquote, he loves us all. Imagine that. So when we go back to the attack on Merck on the. Um, African-American CEO of Merck Pharmaceuticals. By midday on Monday, after a weekend of mounting criticism, Donald Trump made a statement in which he denounced the groups in brief. Um, let me see, is this the right article here? Yeah, this is the right article. In, uh, in brief remarks to reporters in the diplomatic reception room of the White House. He said that, quote, racism, now this is what he said um, uh, today, okay, at the press conference. He said that, quote, racism is evil and those who cause violence in its name are criminals and thugs, including the KKK, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and other hate groups that are repugnant to everything we hold dear as Americans. We are equal under the law and we are equal under our constitution. Uh, he goes on to say, anyone who acted criminally in this weekend's racist violence, you will be held fully accountable, all right? I think he talked about law and order also today as well. But prior to that, he talked about the great economic numbers, the great jobs numbers and the lowest unemployment rate in 16, 17 years. Um, Trump, there were 82 straight months of private sector job growth under President Obama, 15.8 million jobs created. When you took the oath of office January 20th, 2017, the unemployment rate was 4.8%. It dropped down to 4.3%. You are riding on the coattails of President Obama's economy. That's why it dropped down to 4.3%. It's been on a steady decline. That's because of President Obama. It's not because of you. Notice how Trump does not want to give any credit to President Obama for the economy that Trump inherited. He wants to brag about the lowest unemployment rate, but you don't talk about who got it that low. You want you want to brag about the stock market hitting twenty two thousand, but you don't want to talk about the fact that for the most part, the stock market has been on a steady rise since two thousand nine. I mean, it was about 18,000 when you took the oath of office. Who got it from about 6,500 to 7,500 in 2009 to 18,000 when you took the oath of office? So a spokesman for Merck Pharmaceuticals said the company had no further comment about uh, CEO Kenneth C. Frazier's decision, his tweet, or the president's response. 
The White House press office did not immediately respond earlier on Monday to a request for comment. On Saturday afternoon, following the eruption of violence in Charlottesville that morning, Donald Trump first made a general statement about the violence, tweeting, we all must be united and condemn all that hate stands for. There is no place for this kind of violence in America. Let's come to let's come together as one. Later on Saturday, bigotry and violence on many sides. Critics, including Republicans in his own party, said he should directly condemn the groups by name. Okay, now I don't think he needed. There were about there were about twelve white supremacist organizations that were involved in the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. So I don't think he should have named the 12 organizations by name, okay, because you don't want to give them credit. But I think it's permissible to, you know, talk about the KKK, neo-Nazis, white nationalists, things like this. What he didn't say is that I don't want your support. He didn't say don't wear Make America Great Again hats or T-shirts at your rallies. What he didn't say is that your agenda is not my agenda. What he didn't say is that I denounce um, David Duke and the comments that David Duke made on Saturday. Now, David Duke did another uh, social media post and he said and he reminded Donald Trump that it was white people who put him in office and not the left. Not the left, not the liberals. He reminded Donald Trump it was white people that put him in office also. Then you had Richard Spencer, who is the uh, who coined the term the alt-right. And he's basically credited with founding the alt-right. He's the founder of the National Policy Institute. Richard Spencer was at the protests on Saturday and he was leading the protests on Friday uh, in Charlottesville where you, where you saw them with the 500 uh, tiki torches, right? He was supposed to be, uh, he was invited to speak at Texas A&M University and uh, that rally has been canceled. That rally has been canceled behind what happened in Charlottesville. Texas A&M cancels Richard Spencer's White Lives Matter rally. Now, this is the same guy who uh, uh, Roland Martin interviewed on News One Now with Roland Martin, and he tore, he tore, uh, Roland tore into him. He interviewed him for about 33 minutes. It's on YouTube. Go to Roland Martin's page on YouTube, Roland Martin on YouTube. Texas A&M announced, this, this came out today, about an hour ago, Texas A&M announced that White Lives Matter rally headlined by Richard Spencer that was planned for next month, okay, planned for September, has been canceled, has been canceled, and it should be canceled, okay? So I told you that the Daily Stormer website, one of the leading white supremacist websites, their, their GoDaddy account has been shut down, and also they went to Google for, for hosting for their website, Google has banned their website also. The Hill.com is reporting today. Google has banned the leading white supremacist website, The Daily Stormer, just hours after it was kicked off its domain by GoDaddy. Okay. And that's a good thing. All right. Um, so let's see here. 
Okay, there's another story I wanted to get to. Um, there was a, okay, so the Hill.com, uh, they talked about it tonight on MSNBC. Joanne Reed was sitting in for Chris Hayes. So I was watching Joanne Reed before we broadcasted because Joanne Reed is fantastic. And, you know, I like chocolate also. So, hey, you know, I wanted to broadcast early in the day, but I was tired and um, I went to go see my daughter also early in the day as well. But, the hill.com had a story and a lot of people have talked about this a lot of people have talked about how white nationalist groups and domestic terrorism is worse than terrorist attacks against america by muslims okay both the fbi there's a breaking news story today both the fbi and president trump's homeland security department issued a warning in may of 2017 about the imminent threat of lethal violence from white supremacists both the fbi and president and donald trump's homeland security department issued a warning in may of 2017 about the imminent threat which means it's near it's coming the imminent threat of lethal violence from white supremacists but donald trump is is reluctant to denounce white supremacists and domestic terrorism from crazy ass white men is a bigger threat than than terror attacks against the u.s on american soil from isis or from muslims who were born here okay the majority of the terrorist attacks come from crazy white men but donald trump doesn't want to denounce this because these are the people who voted for him the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security in May warned the uh, in May warned of the threat posed by white supreme white supremacist groups in the United States in a joint intelligence bulletin issued May 10th and obtained by foreign policy foreign policy the publication foreign policy the Department of Homeland Security and the Bureau of the FBI said white supremacist groups had carried out more violent attacks than any other domestic extremist group over the past 16 years and what we're likely to commit more okay this means the biggest threat is not from muslims the biggest threat is from crazy ass white men the biggest threat to america when it comes to terrorism is not from muslims it's from crazy ass white men in a joint intelligence bulletin now the problem was is that it was the intelligence community providing trump with this information and trump doesn't have any intelligence that's that's the problem okay so um that's probably why you know he didn't get the memo in a joint intelligence bulletin issued may 10th 2017 and obtained by foreign policy the publication foreign policy the Department of Homeland Security and the FBI said white supremacist groups had carried out more violent attacks than any other domestic extremist group over the past 16 years. This didn't start last year over the past 16 years, which goes back into um, President George W. Bush's tenure. OK, and they said that these white supremacist organizations were likely to commit more acts. The white supremacist movement, according to the bulletin, 
quote, likely will continue to pose a threat of lethal violence over the next year, quote unquote. Now, on Saturday, uh, August uh, 12th, a, a driver plowed into a crowd uh, protesting a white supremacist rally. OK, protesting the removal of a Confederate statue in Charlottesville, Confederate statue of General Robert E. Lee. So this was uh, uh, James Alex Fields, Jr., 20 years old from Ohio. Uh, he was arraigned today. We'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, so uh, he's been charged with second degree murder, three counts of malicious wounding and failure, failure to stop at a scene of a fatal crash. OK, injured one. He killed one and injured many others. Donald Trump has declined to condemn the groups behind the rally by name, although the White House has issued an, an unattributed statement affirming that, quote, of course, uh, the president condemns violence by white supremacists, KKK, neo-Nazi and all extremist groups. OK, so later today, you know, he had the press conference. He denounced the KKK, neo-Nazis, things like this. But he, he did not call those organizations by name because there were 12 of them. Now, in the bulletin, the FBI reported that white supremacist groups were responsible for 49 homicides and 26 attacks from the year 2000 to 2016. This is more than any other domestic extremist movement. This is more than Muslims. Donald Trump is not talking about banning crazy ass white man from America. Notice this. He has the data. He has the data. The real problem is not Muslims. The real problem is, is are these white supremacist domestic terrorist groups. The other thing is that Trump is is reluctant to call the attack Saturday domestic terrorism. But if that had been a Muslim driving the car, oh, he would have tweeted, this was domestic terrorism. This is why we need the travel ban, you know, blah, blah, blah. He would have gone off. He's not talking about having a ban against crazy white men. He's not talking about deporting them or anything like this. In the bulletin, the FBI reported that white supremacist groups were responsible for 49 homicides and 26 attacks from the year 2000 to 2016. And the FBI reported, quote, this, they said this is, quote, more than any other domestic extremist movement, end quote. White supremacist plots and attacks outnumbered Islamist uh, uh, incidents by an almost two to one margin, according to a database compiled by the investigative uh, investigative fund fund at the Nation Institute. Attorney, so uh, almost two to one margin, white supremacist plots and attacks outnumbered Muslims, Muslim incidents by almost two to one margin. But Muslims are being made to be the boogeyman. They're being made to be the scapegoats. Just like Mexicans and Hispanics are being made the scapegoats and saying they're taking your job. See, Donald Trump doesn't want to talk about corporations like General Electric, GE, that produce a large percentage of the automation and the robots that are taking that have eliminated millions of jobs. He doesn't want to talk about that. Because, see, factory output since the 1980s has doubled, but factories are using one third the labor force because they're using automation. They're using robots, 
automation, technology, software programs, things like this. And this has eliminated millions of jobs. Trump doesn't want to talk about that. He wants to deal with xenophobia. He wants to play upon the fears of white people with the browning of America. And many of these people sit up and watch Fox News all day and don't do any fact checking. OK, and he doesn't want to talk about what he doesn't want to deal with what's really going on and how millions of jobs are, have been eliminated and are continuing to be eliminated by automation. Even at the carrier plant in Indiana, where he bragged about saving hundreds of jobs, well, carrier announced around that same time that they were investing about 16 million dollars in that plant and upgrades and they were going to implement automation more robotics which is going to eliminate more jobs and just recently they eliminated you know 300 they, they, they announced about 300 jobs being eliminated at the same carrier plant trump was very silent about that very silent about that i wonder why now attorney general jefferson Beauregard sessions the third has launched a civil rights investigation into the violence in charlottesville virginia that happened this past saturday calling the attack an incident of domestic terrorism now trump who is supposed to be the president and he's also supposed to be healer in chief. This is something that president Obama was very good at. He's supposed to be healer in chief. Okay. He's supposed to be a consoler. He, Trump has not called this domestic terrorism. His attorney general has called it domestic terrorism. His security advisor, H uh, HM McMaster uh, on meet the press on on sunday called it domestic terrorism but donald trump who's supposed to be the president of america doesn't call it domestic terrorism he doesn't call it domestic terrorism i wonder why i bet you if this was a muslim who did this he, he would have called it domestic terrorism within the first hour now the bulletin titled white supremacist extremism poses persistent threat of lethal violence they're not playing. They're, they're telling the truth. They're like, look, dude, dude, this is a problem. The bulletin titled White Supremacist Extremism Poses Persistent Threat of Lethal Violence describes multiple grisly attacks in 2016, including an 18-year-old Chinese girl who was attacked with a hatchet while taking photos for a school project in Indiana. She suffered two inch lacerations uh, on her back from the attacker who stated he wanted to kill her because of her race. Don't remember Trump talking about that. Don't remember Trump talking about the killing of Richard, Richard Collins, the third also African-American man in the military. All right. Now. Um, OK, so in February of last year, February 2016, three members of a local racist skinhead group allegedly used knives to attack a group of hispanic men in a los angeles county park in august of 2016 a self-identified white supremacist allegedly stabbed an african-american man in olympia washington after seeing him kiss a white woman outside of a restaurant trump was silent on that one the suspect told police that he was part of a white supremacist group and had and had come to fight black lives matter people according to the report donald trump has drawn fierce criticism even from republicans for his refusal 
to publicly condemn white supremacists, some of whom identify themselves as his supporters, some of whom work for him, some of whom are in the White House. Stephen K. Bannon, chief strategist, co-founder of Breitbart News, who Stephen K. Bannon said is the home of the alt-right. Sebastian Gorka, deputy White House um, um, advisor. Sebastian Gorka that has ties to Hungarian uh, neo-Nazi groups. Stephen Miller, who worked for Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III. Stephen Miller, 31, 32-year-old advisor, another white supremacist, white nationalist, who was mentored by Richard Spencer when Stephen Miller went to Duke University. And Richard Spencer is the founder of the National Policy Institute and credited with founding the alt-right, and he at least coined the term alt-right. So these are the people in your neighborhood. 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, the people that you meet when you walk down the street. These are the people in Trump's neighborhood. So many of those rallying in Char Charlottesville this past weekend wore Donald Trump's signature Make America Great Again campaign hats and his response to the rally's violence drew support from the pro-Nazi website, The Daily Stormer, as we had talked about. The Daily, founder of The Daily Stormer, Andrew Anglin, posted uh, on their website, um, the, or he at least made the statement in social media, Trump, uh, Trump comments were good. He didn't attack us. He just said the nation should come together, nothing specific against us. Now, Trump has pushed aggressively for the use of the term radical Islamic terrorism in the past, but he's slow to call this domestic terrorism. He, he accused President Barack Obama of not using the term uh, 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 Islamic terrorism. He used Hillary Clinton, Clinton accused her of not using the term radical Islamic terrorism, but he doesn't want to use the term domestic terrorism, domestic ter terrorism when it comes to these white supremacist attacks. Shortly following the December 2015 Islamic State in uh, Iraq and Syria attack in San Bernardino, California, Donald Trump tweeted, when will President Obama issue the issue the words radical Islamic terrorism? He can't say it. And unless he will, the problem will not be solved. But he doesn't want to call this domestic terrorism, even though his attorney general has called it domestic terrorism. And. Uh, uh, H. Uh, H. R. McMaster. Uh, said it was domestic terror. He's a national security advisor. McMaster said it was uh, uh, domestic terrorism as well. Okay, he said he said it appears to be domestic terrorism. He said um, we, he said you know basically uh, the legal process has to play itself out. But he said this appears to be domestic terrorism. He said definitely. Okay, he said that uh, this past Sunday on Meet the Press. But Trump is reluctant to call it domestic terrorism. So check out this article here from TheHeal.com. FBI, DHS warned of white supremacist threat in May. FBI and DHS warned of white supremacist threat in May, May of 2017. We're going to post that here on the thread of the broadcast. How's everybody doing today? Share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in also. Share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in also, okay? Uh, also, we'll talk some about the uh, online course that I teach called Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. 
understanding the transatlantic slave trade what they didn't teach you in school understanding the transatlantic slave trade what they didn't teach you in school we'll post the link here for the course is a 12-hour six-week online course that i teach all the sessions are recorded you can go back and watch it over over and over again we do with thousands of years of history they help explain also what we're seeing right now do with thousands of years of history that also help explain what we are seeing right now and, and what to do about it as well okay now uh i want to go to this next story here well let me go to some of your comments here carmen okay carmen said my friends are tuning in i had carmen on my show last night on 19 a on the superstation the voice of detroit so those in the detroit area the 35th annual african world festival is coming up this weekend uh friday august 18th through sunday august 20th at the charles h wright museum of african-american history there's a there's going to be a health as wealth pavilion carmen is involved in that she's a registered nurse they're going to be 120 uh registered nurses out there donating their time they're going to have all types of health screenings so come on out they'll have a, a a dental rv providing free dental care they're going to give uh screenings when it comes to blood pressure and bmi things like this they'll do std screenings also as well um so i think the longest line i think the, i think there's going to be a longer line at that pavilion than at the food pavilion for all the uh health disparities that that we're dealing with here in detroit Okay. Um, I'll be at the Charles H. Wright Museum this weekend also. So Friday, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m., there is a uh, panel discussion. I think it's in the GM Theater dealing with uh, the effects of racism uh, on African-Americans. So I'm on that panel. Saturday, uh, Dr. Greg Carr, chair of the Afro-American Studies Department at Howard University. Uh, he'll be there as well because ASCAC, the Association for the Study of Classical African Civilizations, ASCAC, which was the organization co-founded by Dr. Leonard Jeffries and Dr. Yosef Ben-Yakanen and Dr. John Henry Clark. Uh, the Detroit chapter, they're having uh, a program 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. in the GM Theater. And um, uh, Dr. Greg Carr will be speaking, but also you have um, um, Dr. Valethia Watkins, and she's going to do a presentation dealing with the difference between womanism and feminism. The difference between womanism and feminism and how womanism is something that African African American women should embrace as opposed to feminism because feminism is a form of white supremacy. So she's going to deal with that. And then Saturday from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Um, I'll be in the uh, one of the classrooms in the basement. Um, I'll be doing my presentation from five to six African American resistance in the era of Donald Trump voter suppression reparations and how elections have consequences african-american resistance in the era of donald trump voter suppression reparations and how elections have consequences okay so i'll be doing that presentation uh so look out for that also we'll have we'll have some more information about that for you as well okay um the state of illinois uh the state senate the state senate of illinois has passed a measure passed a law calling on law enforcement officials to label white nationalists and neo-nazi groups as terrorist organizations in the wake of the deadly charlottesville uh attack okay this was a story from the day from the hill.com um carmen said there is a difference between womanism and feminism yes there is erica watson said yes uh okay we got porsche in seattle 
Okay. And uh, Seattle was where uh, another protest was on Sunday. Shalanda said, Mike, thanks for the knowledge. Okay. Um, Illinois, the hill.com. I, I monitor about 35 different news sources on a daily basis. Hill.com is one of the top ones. Hill, the hill, Washington Post, New York Times, Atlanta, blackstar.com, your black world. I'm waiting for your black world to post the article that I wrote. Yolanda Spivey, if you're watching, did, 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 did the article get posted yet? Uh, cause I posted an article about Charlottesville. And it has the two hour, 15 minute video I did uh, early Sunday morning about the attack. So Illinois, uh, the Illinois Senate passes a measure calling for neo-Nazis to be classified as a, as a terrorist organization. OK. Um, the Illinois Senate on Sunday approved a resolution calling for police to categorize neo-Nazi groups as terrorist organizations, according to the Chicago Tribune. Uh, the measure came as a response to Saturday's violence uh, at a white supremacist rally in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, the, uh, Senator Don Harmon, Senator Don Harmon said, uh, who sponsored the measure, said it is vital that we stand in total opposition to the hatred, bigotry and violence displayed by the white nationalists and neo-Nazi groups in Charlottesville this past weekend. OK, um, he goes on to say. Uh, they are, he goes on to say, uh, they are the hate, the heirs, the heirs, H E I R S to the Ku Klux Klan and the Nazis. We fought two bloody wars in opposition to their ideologies. We must continue to fight those same twisted ideologies today. Um, Heather Hare, who was the 32 year old white woman who was, uh, who was pro, who was a counter protester and reports are, and her mother talks about how she stood up against injustice. Um, she was killed when, um, uh, when, uh, James Alex Fields, uh, junior, 20 years old, um, allegedly, uh, when he uh, allegedly drove his car into a crowd of counter protesters in Charlottesville. Okay. Uh, so you can check out this article from the from the heel dot com uh, also. So this is good news from um, Illinois. And hopefully the governor of Illinois signs this measure into law. Also, this is why state this is why state law and who you vote for at the state level is so important. A lot of times people just focus on president. And I say, wait a second, the closer the closer the politics are to you, the more impact that it has on you. Okay. The closer the politics are to you, uh, the, the, the greater the impact it has on you. All right. So this is why when we vote is not just for president, you got to vote for us house of representatives, us Senate, because they're the ones who draft the laws that the president signs in the law. Okay. Um, so we really have to, be more become more politically astute we really have to become more uh politically astute all right okay so we're going to go to some of your comments here in just a minute and i want to go to uh i want to go to this other story here um about the arraignment of james alex field jr today okay we'll go to that story um let me post the information here and the last thing we'll do we'll do um I'll do a brief preview of the online course that I teach ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa. 
understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Okay. So we'll post the, uh, I'll just post an information with pen it there. It says register here. So next class is Friday, uh, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., August 18th. All the sessions are recorded. You can go back and watch it over and over again. As soon as you register, you can watch the session I did last Friday. And we have 20, about 20 hours of bonus content also for you to watch as well. Okay, as soon as you register. Um, and there are a couple other goodies in there for you also. All right. So you can check that out. Okay, um, let's see here. All right, I, I want to go to this other story. And this is, let's see, which one is this here? Okay, so James Alex Field was, um, he was arraigned today, all right? Um, Okay, so we have the story of uh, Trump denouncing racism is evil. Trump says condemning white supremacists and hate groups. Okay, so we have the story uh, from Washington Post. That was 8 o'clock this evening. So we dealt with that. And let's see. All right, and James Alex Field was uh, arraigned today. And let's go to that story. Where is that? Uh, also, oh, you know, I, I want to get to this other story first. You had a 20-year-old African-American man who was attacked by a group of white supremacists. His name is DeAndre Harris. DeAndre Harris. And he was badly beaten. Um, he says if it had not been for his friends that were with him, he probably would have been killed. Um, you see the photo taken by uh, photographer Zach, Zach D. Roberts, Zach D. Roberts, who is a he's a co-producer of the documentary. Um, the best democracy money can buy, along with Greg Palast. But a 20, 20 uh, Yasha Callahan has a good article from the root dot com today about this or yesterday. Um, Sunday about this okay the root could you please post the date that these articles are written please don't say yesterday post the damn date please you got the time post the date i hate it i hate it when publications do things like that so th this is from august 13th yasha callahan has a good article except for the date uh, she interviewed 20-year-old DeAndre Harris, who's speaking out about being assaulted by white supremacists in Charlottesville, Virginia. Now, he's an aspiring hip-hop artist, and he moved to Charlottesville, Virginia, from Suffolk, Virginia, two years ago for a job opportunity as an instructional assistant in the special education program at a local high school. Uh, but nothing could prepare him for what he experienced Saturday afternoon when he took part in a counter protest against the Unite the Right white supremacy uh, marches that took place in Charlottesville. OK, and people have seen the uh, uh, pictures of uh, the, the white supremacists around him with poles. He was beaten with uh, uh, metal poles. 
Uh, the pictures were taken by Zach D. Roberts, so we're glad he, he, he captured that. Uh, the shocking photo immediately went far and wide, and although DeAndre Harris uh, received multiple injuries, he said that he says that he's thankful to be alive to tell his story. He says that, uh, quote, me and about five of my friends were out protesting. We thought the racist left. Uh, we thought the racist left. But at one point they came back. Everyone was exchanging words with the group. But then the KKK and white supremacists just rushed us. OK. He said they were beating me with poles. I have eight staples in my head, a broken wrist and a chipped tooth. Now, DeAndre Harris said if it wasn't for his friends who noticed him under the pile of white supremacists and helping him, he probably would not be alive to tell his story. Harris is in the process of pressing charges as the photographer who took the photo is helping his mother identify the racist who took part in the attack. After the photo made its rounds on social media, many people noticed that the parking garage where the assault took place was right near the Charlottesville Police Department. And of course, uh, uh, we know how this story goes. Uh, DeAndre Harris said the beating happened right beside the police department and no police were there to help me at all. My mother is now thinking about suing the city of Charlottesville. Now, Charlottesville had about 1000 um, police. They had police, state troopers, National Guard there. Um, the ch chief of police of Charlottesville, who is African-American, gave the uh, press conference today. OK. And um, his name escapes me right now. Um, Al, Al Thomas, Chief Thomas. OK, he gave a press conference today. You'll probably see stories about that. Um, he goes on to say, DeAndre goes on to say, I think I, I, I think for them to be allowed to come here and protest is really crazy. How do you expect the KKK to come to your city and protest and them not be violent? I understand everyone is titled to their freedom of speech, but the government and the mayor made a bad business move. It's only it's only caused havoc in your city. It's crazier that people have the hatred in their heart to want to kill black people. Now, I've said this before, and we have to understand the propaganda of the media. You cannot have images of African-Americans being degraded in the media for decades. You can't have uh, African-Americans being called all types of derogatory names, things like this, and think that it does not impact the way people think, feel, and act towards you, because it does. This is why other ethnic groups of people are guarded about the images that are put out about them. This is why other ethnic groups of people in their music and things like this, they don't call themselves all type of derogatory terms and they don't dehumanize their women in their music for the most part. Because when you do that, that feeds into a stereotype and it causes people when people are bombarded with thousands of images of a targeted group of people, whether the whether the images portray you positively or negatively. It causes them to develop subconsciously a consensus towards you. And then when they come in contact 
with a representative of that targeted group that they have been fed images and ideologies and information about for years, they're going to act. They're going to oftentimes act based upon their program. So we look at the latest CD from Jay-Z. We see the ADL anti-defamation league comes out against AG of uh, Jay-Z for a couple of lines he has in there about Jews. Yet you can have uh, CDs from Rick Ross, Nicki Minaj, Lil Wayne, things like this, calling us all type of derogatory terms, dehumanizing our women, calling them all types of uh, bees and whores and thoughts and different things like this. And people are mostly silent, largely, largely silent. Okay. Uh, so, you know, we, we, we have to understand the impact that the media has on the way people think, feel, act, and behave. I've been studying media for 25 years. My degree is in marketing, foundation of marketing psychology. Marketing deal, marketing is, is part of media. I've been studying media for 25 years. I'm telling you, this stuff is deep. And we used to have a better sense than when we were being attacked. Because if you study the movie The Birth of a Nation, which debuted February 8th, 1915, we have protests against the film The Birth of a Nation. Because the movie calls race rides across the street, uh, 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 across the country. It calls race rides in the streets across the country. The NAACP organized protests against the movie The Birth of a Nation. In the film The Birth of a Nation, the Ku Klux Klan are the heroes of the film. It's on YouTube. Watch it. It's about three hours. It's a silent movie, 1915, directed by D.W. Griffith. When it goes to Boston, you have William Monroe Trotter, who has protests against the film. Okay? So we have to, you know, we have to understand that we're under attack and the media is being used. The negative stereotypical images of African Americans in the media are being used to attack us. And we have to take appropriate action. Part of that is divested. Part of that is, is not purchasing negative hip hop and teaching our children not to do that. And, and have economic withdrawal strategies of uh, companies that put out negative hip hop. If you just look at what happened a couple of months ago in the state of New York, pension, uh, New York City employees in the city of New York, I should say, New York City employees divested pension fund dollars from privatized prisons they divested um 48 million dollars in um pension fund dollars from privatized prisons because they did not want to um can, uh, financially support privatized prisons see at some point we have to realize we have to stop financing our own dehumanization at some point, we have to realize we have to stop financing our own dehumanization. New York City's pension system has become the first in the nation to fully divest from privatized prisons. Controller Scott Stringer uh, will announce on Thursday. And they actually did. They actually did do this. OK, uh, the city has sold off forty eight million dollars in stocks and bonds of three private prison companies, according to the controller's office after a unanimous vote from the funds trustees. Okay, they divested from um, uh, Geo Group, 
Core Civic, which used to be Corrections Corporation of America, the largest owner operated privatized prisons in the country, and G4S. Okay, G4S. These are the three largest uh, privatized prison operators in the country. All right. And keep in mind that it was Core Civic and Geo Group. They donated almost six hundred thousand dollars in um they almost they donated almost six hundred thousand dollars to Donald Trump's presidential campaign. So we just posted that link here. Name of that article. This is from um New York Daily News, NYC pension fund to back out of investments in private prisons. NYC pension funds to back out of investments in private prisons. And they actually did this. Okay. So this is, see, boycotts don't mean just marching in front of a store with a picket sign. They're different ways to implement economic withdrawal strategies. And this is one. This is something I've been talking about for a few years now. Looking to see, looking to see where your pension fund dollars are invested, looking to see where your 401k dollars are invested and having economic withdrawal strategies targeting certain industries, privatized prisons. It may be gun manufacturers like the teachers in, like the teachers in California did back in 2012 after they after the Sandy Hook shooting. In California, had had the largest uh, pension fund. They had uh, for teachers. They had one hundred fifty-five billion dollars. Um, their their pension funds had one hundred fifty-five billion dollars invested in various companies. But they found out that millions of dollars were invested in three gun manufacturers, and one of those gun manufacturers was the uh, company that made the uh, AR-15 assault rifle that was used in the Sandy Hook shooting. So they divested millions of dollars from these gun manufacturers. So there are different types of ways to redistribute the pain. There are different types. We have to focus on redistributing the pain to those inflicting pain upon us. Okay. There are different types of ways to, uh, to redistribute the pain. Okay. So we posted that article NYC pension fund to back out of investments in private prisons. And, uh, I'm trying to find the article here for the um, arraignment that took place of, uh, I know I have it up here. Just a second. So James Alex Field Jr. was, um, he was arraigned here. Okay, so NBCnews.com, we'll go to this. Charlottesville suspect James Alex Field Jr. denied bond after first court appearance. Good, don't let him out. This is from now. This is from August 14th. This was updated 9:59 p.m. See, I like see, I like to be precise with this stuff because when you're dealing with what's known as a fluid story in journalism, this a type of story like this is called a fluid story. When you see articles, you want to know when the article came out, when it was updated, because you're trying to put things in chronological order. Okay, so uh, James Alex Field Jr., who's accused of uh, killing uh, Heather Hare, 32-year-old woman, Heather Hare, when he ran, when he allegedly rammed his car into a group of protesting uh, uh, protesters who were protesting against white nationalists rallying in Virginia, was denied bail on Monday in his first court appearance since the chaos in Charlottesville, dressed in a dressed in a black and white prison jumpsuit. James Alex Field Jr. appeared in Charlottesville courtroom in a Charlottesville courtroom via video conference 
from the local jail and did not enter a plea in connection with the death of uh, 32-year-old Heather Hare at the Unite the Right march on Saturday, uh, August 12th. Fields uh, said, no, sir. Uh, answering uh, Chief Judge Robert H. Downer Jr. when he was asked uh, if he could afford a lawyer. Uh, the 20-year-old was assigned court, a court-appointed attorney uh, named Charles Weber and given an August 25th uh, return court date. Uh, James, Field, James Fields Jr., uh, James Alex Fields Jr. told the court he earned $600 a week working for a private security company in uh, Maumee, Ohio. Uh, during the 10-minute uh, appearance, he mostly kept his head down and avoided looking directly into the camera. Really? Now, I bet you were talking a bunch of stuff on Saturday. I bet you were acting big and bad on Saturday. I bet you, I bet you didn't act all humble on Saturday. So why are you punking up now? Yes, sir, Fields answered when Downer asked him if he understood everything that was said during the proceeding. Then James Alex Field Jr. was marched back to his cell at the um, Albemarie Charlottesville Regional Jail. You should get used to being in jail, playboy. Now, Fields was arrested shortly after he allegedly plowed his Dodge Challenger through a group of demonstrators barreling through them like bowling pins. Uh, Heather Hera was killed and 19 other protesters were injured. It was um, it was a deadly coda uh, today of anger uh, and rage on the normally genteel streets of the southern city and pitted hundreds of white supremacists, Ku Klux Klansmen and neo-Nazis uh, versus an army of anti-racist protesters. OK, so you could check out uh, the rest of this article here, NBCNews.com, NBCNews.com. Charlottesville suspect James Alex Field Jr. denied bond at first court appearance. OK, you should get used. You should get used to being in jail because uh, that's where you're going to stay. OK, <laughs> you should get used to being in jail because that's where you're going to stay. All right. Um, a lot of black churches do that, but see, black churches get a, a bad rap because uh, the average African American church has only 50 to 150 members, and the overwhelming majority of African American churches are not mega churches, only about 10 percent of African American churches are mega churches. And what happens is, is the disdain that people have for mega churches gets associated with all African-American churches because a lot of these churches, you know, the, the pastors are working two or three jobs to keep these churches open. And the ministers are working multiple jobs. A lot of these churches are small storefront churches. Okay. The average African-American church has between 50 to 150 members. They don't, they don't have 5,000, 10,000 members. Those are mega churches. Only a small percentage of our churches are mega churches. But usually what I find is the people who criticize black churches the most don't even belong to one. Usually what I find, the people who criticize black churches the most and say what they aren't doing and say what they should be doing and things like this, they usually don't even belong to one. So they can't they usually don't know what the churches are doing. 
because they don't talk about the back to school programs that churches have battered women's shelters that some churches have feeding the homeless, clothing the homeless. They don't talk about the work that ministers and pastors do with grief counseling, uh, uh, dealing with cr uh, families that have a crisis. They have a death in the family. They have a son murdered and they have to go counsel the family. They don't talk about violence intervention that a lot of ministers and pastors are engaged in or uh, prison ministries that they're engaged in. Usually people who talk about what churches should do don't talk about none of that. I just find that very interesting how people who criticize African-American churches the most usually don't even belong to one. I just find that very interesting. Okay, so. Um, so we have that story as well. James Alex Field Jr. Now that should serve as an example to his little white supremacist buddies running around talking big stuff. That should serve an ex as an example. <laughs> You're next. <laughs> that should serve as an example to them. You're next. All right. Um, we're going to do a broadcast tomorrow talking about Marshawn Lynch, um, not standing for the national anthem. He said he hasn't done that for 11 years. Uh, people just paying attention to it now. Uh, we'll talk about that and then we'll deal with, uh, Colin Kaepernick also. All right. So, you know, I, I teach this online course, um, ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. How's everybody doing, by the way? Um, share this broadcast on our own Facebook pages and um, uh, invite your friends to tune in as well. Okay. So Erica said, but our churches still need to step it up and become more united. Uh, all right. If you have different denominations, why do you think the churches would be united? I'm just saying. If you if you <laughs> if you <laughs> if you have the, the the churches reflect the people. If <laughs> the the churches are a reflection of the people. So people talk about African Americans aren't united. So any I mean the churches are a reflection of the people. But you had different denominations of churches. I don't expect all of them to be united. And, and you don't you don't need all of them being united. You just need enough to make a difference. But even if they just unite within their own denominations, even just even if they just unite within their own denominations, you could probably get more done. But African-American churches do a lot as it is. I mean, if you think the community is screwed up now. Think how badly would it be if all the churches closed and people can get assistance from churches? They couldn't get clothing and food uh, and, and the help that churches the help that churches give. You have churches that have after school programs. They have back to school programs, things like this. The, if 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 you think things are bad now, but not to, not to mention a lot of African, not, not to mention a lot of African centered groups and organizations because they don't own a building. They have to hold their events in black churches also. When they have their lectures and they have their events and they want to talk about ancient Kemet 3000 years ago, because a lot of them don't own a building, they hold their events in black churches as well. 
I mean, just, you know, <laughs> imagine that. <laughs> I mean, just look at that, right? All right, so um, these other topics we'll get to tomorrow. I don't know. I'm sure there was something else I want to talk about, but I don't know. Okay, so um, let me pull up the uh, PowerPoint presentation here. So when we deal with the transatlantic slave trade, we have to understand, first of all, that African people have been in the land we call the United States of America at least 51,700 years, at least 51,700 years. Okay. Contrary to popular belief, and I know the date is coming up, August 28th, I'm sorry, August 20th. Um, and people talk about this is the first day. This was the day that African people first came to these shores. No, that's not true. Okay. We need to th put that in the same category as the fake Willie Lynch, fake Willie Lynch speech of 1712 because Willie Lynch never historically existed. Um, and African people, we were here tens of thousands of years before, um, we were brought here as enslaved Africans. Okay, so we need to, we really need to deal with um, uh, facts and evidence, all right? Okay, so let me bring this up here. So we first have to understand that African people are an indigenous people of the land we call the United States of America, as well as North, Central, and South America. We were in South America going back at least 56,000 years ago. We were in... Um, the land today we call the United States of America, we were here uh, at least 51,700 years ago. And if you look at the work from Dr. David M. Hotep, who wrote the book, The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence, his book thoroughly documents this. So. Uh, going back at least 56,000 years ago, in uh, South America and uh, going back um, 51,700 years ago in the land we call the United States of America, all right? Okay, so we have the um, PowerPoint up. So when, when, when I teach the online course, we have a uh, slide, we have uh, PowerPoint, we have video clips, articles I reference, everything, it's a lot of information, all right. Let me uh, switch this over here just a second. Okay, so when we deal with the transatlantic slave trade, we have to deal with it uh, chronologically. We can't deal with it episodically. We can't deal with it as an episode in history, okay? We have to deal with it chronologically. And we have to understand that the transatlantic slave trade did not fall to the sky. It was the uh, culmination of a sequence of historical events that lead up to another event taking place, all right? Okay, so I do radio here in Detroit on 9, 10 a.m., the Superstation. Uh, I'm on Sunday nights, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m., uh, Eastern Standard Time, the African History Network show. And also every Thursday, I'm on the morning show here in Detroit. Uh, I'm on 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. on Wake Up With Steve Hood. Wake Up With Steve Hood, the morning show trade. Okay, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com for uh more information all right so anytime i uh, anytime i do a presentation anytime i do a class i know i'm going to say some things people never heard before i may say some things people don't like 
I usually say something like this. The space inside this circle represents my realm of knowledge. Everything that I think I know about whatever I think I know is represented within the circumference of the circle. I must keep in mind that there are still things that uh, exist outside the circumference of my own awareness. Okay. So the reason why I say this is because oftentimes when people hear something that contradicts what they've been taught, what they believe or what they think they know, they automatically reject it without doing any research to determine the validity of the new information that they're learning. And at the same time, they usually don't use that same level of scrutiny to analyze, critique and reevaluate what it is they believe or what they think they know. So just because you know everything that you know about what you know does not mean you know everything there is to know about what you know. There's still things that exist outside the circumference of your own awareness. OK, so. Um, let's continue here. All right. So when we deal with the media. And in, in understanding the transatlantic slave trade, understanding white supremacy and racism, you have to understand you have to deal with the white controlled media. Uh, if you look at the state of the African-American consumer from uh, 2011, which is put together by A.C. Nielsen that do the uh, Nielsen ratings. OK, A.C. Nielsen, um, African-American adults, African-American adults, 18 to 49 years old. Watch 7.2 hours of TV per day. OK, and African-American children watch almost six hours of TV per day. OK, so for adults, that's about 50 hours a week. 50 hours a week, that's a full time job plus 10 hours of overtime you don't get paid to do. And the children see this and pick up their, this habit from their parents. So African-American children watch about 42 hours of television a week. The television is the number one way that. European white supremacist images are being fed to our children. That's why we have to be very careful about the images they consume. Now, uh, blackamericaweb.com and other um, news outlets had this story about this study that came out in 2012. And blackamericaweb.com, their story was called TV Kills Black Boys Self Esteem. TV Kills Black Boys Self Esteem. And it talks about how a new and precise, exhaustive year long study finds that watching television regularly, regularly distorts and ultimately destroys the self-esteem of young black males who often find themselves comparing one another to the characters they view on air, leaving them feeling trapped. And as if they are very, as if there are very few positive life paths they can aspire to. Watching television regularly distorts and ultimately destroys the self-esteem of young black males. And this is what the study found. OK, um, you have this um, a study from a joint study from Harvard University and the University of Pittsburgh that came out in 2012. Uh, and was reported on January 1st, 2013 by AfricanGlobe.net. Black teens with racial pride do better in school. Now, this is one of the reasons why studying African history, African-American history for our children is so important. Black teens with racial pride do better in school. African-American teenagers perform better academically when their parents instill in them a sense of racial pride. African-American teenagers perform better academically when their parents instill in them a uh, instilling them a sense of racial pride. A new study by the University of Pittsburgh and Harvard University shows that when parents use racial socialization, racial socialization 
such as talking to uh, their children or engaging in activities that promote feelings of racial knowledge, pride and connection. It offsets racial discrimination's potentially negative impact on students' academic development. It offsets racial discrimination's potentially negative impact on students' academic development, okay? All right, um, I also talk about Lapita Nyong'o being named um, People Magazine's most beautiful person. I wrote an article about that in ABC World News Tonight, April 23rd, 2014, had a story about this and it dealt with the negative impact of the media on African-American children also. Uh, go to my website, africanhistorynetwork.com, africanhistorynetwork.com, and you can read the article that I wrote um, dealing with uh, Lapita Nyong'o, okay? It's Lapita Nyong'o explains why she wanted to be light-skinned, okay? Because she used to pray to God as a child to make her light-skinned. Now, you know, Malcolm's one of my heroes. You see the picture of Malcolm behind me. Malcolm taught us a lot about the media. But Malcolm taught us that the media is the most powerful entity on earth. They have the power to make the innocent guilty and the guilty innocent. And that's power because they control the minds of the masses. The media is the most powerful entity on earth. They have the power to make the innocent guilty and the guilty innocent. And that's power because they control the minds of the masses. Now, Dr. David M. Hotel wrote the book, The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence. And this is one of the books we use in the course. You don't have to buy any of these books to be able to follow along, but uh, we use it for reference. His book has uh, 713 footnotes dealing with uh, an African presence in this country going back at least 51,700 years. This is before Native Americans even came into existence. So he um, on page 14 of his book. He deals with um, a discovery made in 2004 by Dr. Albert Goodyear. Dr. Albert Goodyear, who is a um, archaeologist at the University of South Carolina. And here's what they found in Allendale County, South Carolina, at a campsite in Allendale County, South Carolina. They found artifacts, architecture, campsites, carvings, um, Egyptian writings, footprints and lava. Genetic M174D haploid groups dealing with DNA and genetics. Uh, they found linguistics, paintings, skulls, skeletons, structures, and tools. 13 different disciplines thoroughly documenting an African presence in this country going back at least 51,700 years. Okay. Uh, this is before Native Americans came into existence. If you look, so when we deal with the transatlantic slave trade, once again, there are two main ways to deal with it. You can deal with it episodically as an episode in history, and you can start in the early 1400s, or you can start in 1440 with the with, with the Portuguese, with, with, with the transatlantic slave trade begins in 1440 with the Portuguese, and the Portuguese dominate for the first 200 years. And so you look at the transatlantic slave trade from 1440 to 1888, you can deal with that, or you can deal with it chronologically and deal with a sequence of historical events that lead up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. So this is why we deal with the 800 year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors. We deal with ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt. We deal with Christopher Columbus as well, who was critical to the transatlantic slave trade also. All right. So in this article from sciencedaily.com, sciencedaily.com from uh, November 18th, 2004, this deals with Dr. Albert Goodyear's discovery that Dr. David M. Hotep talks about. 
and a summary of the article. Now, the name of the article is New Evidence Puts Man in North America 50,000 Years Ago. New Evidence Puts Man in North America 50,000 Years Ago. Okay. And a summary of the, of the article says radiocarbon tests of carbonized plant remains where artifacts were unearthed last May along the Savannah River in Allendale County by University of South Carolina archaeologist Dr. Albert Goodyear indicate that the sediments containing these artifacts are at least 50,000 years old. Okay. It indicates that the sediments containing these artifacts are at least 50,000 years old, meaning that humans inhabited North America long before the last ice age. Humans inhabited North America long before the last ice age. Now, this is um, this is thousands of years before we were told about the oldest um, human discovery, human civilization here in North America, which is the which is the Clovis culture discovery from um, that dates back about thirteen thousand years ago. Okay, that's in New Mexico. OK, but there's evidence of an African presence here tens of thousands of years before that. So one of the things we deal with in the course, we deal with archaeological discoveries. OK. And once again, you know, the, in the course, we do a visual presentation. We have slides and we have video clips and articles, uh, things like this. Right. Um, this is an article from The New York Times from February 2010. And the archaeological discoveries are important to deal with when we deal with the, to understand the chronology of history. It's called On Crete, New Evidence of Very Ancient Mariners. On Crete, New Evidence of Very Ancient Mariners. OK. And in the article is from February 15, 2010, New York Times. In the article, uh, they talk about how um, excavations were done over the course of two summers on the Greek island of Crete. Okay, the Greek island of Crete. And they found stone tools that archaeologists say are at least 130,000 years old. And this is considered strong evidence for the earliest known seafaring in the Mediterranean and calls for rethinking the maritime capabilities of pre-human cultures. Okay, but what they're going to find when they do more research that they haven't already found this out, they're going to find that these were not pre-human that these were homo sapiens, which is modern man. Because as Renoko Rashidi and, and uh, Dr. Charles Finch and Dr. David M. Hotep and, and, and other scholars we have, a lot of them have been saying that homo sapiens are not 75,000 or 100,000 or 200,000 years old, but homo sapiens, modern man is at least 300,000 years old, even homo sapiens sapiens, okay, which we are, our classification, okay? But modern man is at least 300,000 years old. And, and see, this is once again, this is why we look at a lot of the recent archaeological discoveries, because when you look at the discovery that came out of Morocco in June. And they found skeletons of Homo sapiens that they say date back between 300,000 to 350,000 years ago. Which totally flip the archaeological world upside down, because when these archaeological discoveries take place. They're cause, causing archaeologists, scientists, and in some cases, paleontologists, the, the scientists that study dinosaurs, is causing them to have to rethink everything, and they have to push dates back. 
the deeper they dig, the blacker the planet gets, the more research they do, the older we get. So they keep having to push these dates back. Juvenile had a song called Back That Thing Up years ago. They keep having to back that thing up, okay? And the discovery coming out of Morocco was um, of Homo sapiens skeletons 300,000, 350,000 years ago. This blew out of the water the uh the date of the oldest skeletons that they have which came out of ethiopia of modern man which date back 195,000 years ago the 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 ones in ethiopia were the oldest ones known to be found of modern man that's in ethiopia well you have you have them found in morocco over 100,000 years before that so then it's causing them to have to totally rethink the migration of African people from East Africa into Central Africa into West Africa. And they have to push dates. They have to push back those dates also. So the deeper they dig, the blacker the planet gets, the more research they do, the older we get. The deeper they dig, the blacker the planet gets, the more research they do, the older we get. So we deal with things like the suppression of the knowledge, in, in, in especially dealing with ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt. And we deal with the story of the Druids, right? The Druids in Ireland who are doing battle with the Christian church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, because the Eastern Orthodox Church in 431 AD wants to spread Christianity in the Ireland. And the people standing in the way of that are the Druids. And the word Druid in Old Irish means he who knows. And the Druids were dealing with something called the Gnosis, the true knowledge. But they were dealing with a watered down version of teachings coming out of ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt. That in, their, in these teachings dealt with realizing the power of the creator, the power of God that resides in man. And through the attainment of knowledge. In spiritual awareness, you elevate your conscious level to full to to fully actualize or fully realize the power of the creator that exists inside of you coming from the story of Asar Arset and Heru, who the Greeks called Osiris, Isis and Horus, which is the story of the first Holy Trinity coming out of ancient Kemet. In Heru being born of a virgin birth on December 25th to Osset, who the Greeks call Isis. And these teachings directly conflicted with the Christian church. So in about 432 AD, 431, 432, uh, uh, Pope Celestine I sends a British slave named Patrick into Ireland to convert the population. In the name of Christianity, Patrick's army kills thousands of Druids. And they spread Christianity. They introduced uh, uh, the Latin language because Latin is dominant at this time. English language doesn't even exist. There's no, there's no such thing as English at this time. English comes from the Anglos who were a group of Germanic people, the Anglos and the Saxons. And they go into Ireland, but they also go into what's later going to be called England. Okay. 
And um, this is where English, the word English comes from, comes from Anglos. OK. And uh, um, and then in 1607, Anglo-Saxons, th those descendants of the Anglo-Saxons, the descendants of those the, the Anglos and the Saxons were also referred to as barbarians. You're going to see them collectively referred to as Germans, the Anglos, the Saxons, the Jutes, the Lombards, the Picts, the Allens, the Franks. You'll see the Vandals, the Visigoths. You'll see them referred to collectively as Germanic people or barbarians. OK. And then we know the Anglo-Saxon rule of England ends in 1066 A.D. at the Battle of Hastings. That's when the Anglo-Saxon rule ends. And then Philip of Normandy, uh, who, who was French, uh, takes control of England. So when you study the Anglo-Saxon rule of England, it ends in 1066 A.D. with the Battle of Hastings. OK, so we deal with. We, we deal with this type of history because you have a series of historical events that lead up to the transatlantic slave trade happening. So to put these things in, in, in the proper historical context, you have to deal with them chronologically. So these are some of the things we deal with. We deal with archaeological discoveries like the discovery of the lost city of Egypt known as Tanis Heraklion, which was revealed back in 2013. And at the bottom of Abu Bay, uh, of uh, Egypt's Abu Bay, uh, uh, at the bottom of Egypt's Bay of Abu Kir, I should say, they found 64 ships and 16 foot tall statues, 70 anchors, countless gold coins, uh, news.yahoo.com. Yahoo News had a story about this. All the news outlets had a story about this. This was a huge discovery, but they actually made the discovery back in about 2000 and they revealed it 13 years later. Okay. Uh, and Frank Gaudio was the the lead archaeologist on this uh, uh, discovery. The law, this, it, 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 they say that the city of Egypt sunk into the sea 1,200 years ago, and this city was built around 8th century BC. It was built around 8th century BC. And these are some of the pictures of what they found uh, at the bottom of the sea, okay? All right, so these are some of the things that, that we deal with. Um, we deal with the 800 year occupation of Europe uh, by the Africans known as the Moors who are taking into Europe the teachings coming from the ancient Egyptian mystery system. And um, the, the Moors are going, the Moors eventually set Columbus up to sail August 3rd, 1492 on his four voyages because they're introducing nautical instruments and not just introducing almanacs and globes, spherical globes and and uh, things like this, they reintroduce the concept of longitude and latitude. They're going to introduce uh, nautical instruments that the uh, nautical instruments uh, that Columbus are using uh, was using are based upon. OK, so they're going to build the first university in Europe. Also, University of Salamanca in Spain, built in 12, 1285 A.D. by uh, the African Moors and uh, also um, the Arabs as well. So you, you we have to deal with these things chronologically. OK, and the Moors are going to, you know, lay the foundation for Freemasonry, the teachings they take into Europe, lay the foundations for Freemasonry. You're going to have the um, poor Knights of Christ formed in 1118 A.D., um, who become known as the Knights Templar. 
right, during the Second Crusades. And when they're disbanded over the, the course of some years, you, you, we, we know October 13, 1307 in France, uh, Jacques de Molay and his group of 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 Moors, I mean, not Moors, uh, Knights Templar are rounded up and, and tortured and many are killed. Uh, they're going to be disbanded. Uh, and then uh, subsequent years, other Knights Templar are going to be disbanded. Those teachings go underground and they're going to resurface as the uh, Scottish rites of the Freemason and the Rosicrucians, Rosicrucians, these other European secret societies. OK, but they're dealing with watered down teachings coming out of ancient Egypt, ancient Kemet. And then 50 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence. Were Freemasons. And they're dealing with principles coming out of ancient Egypt. And so when you see the Washington Monument, which is 555 feet tall, that is a Tekken, a symbol of resurrection. Coming from the story of Asar Aset and Heru. And you had about 1200 Tekkenu all throughout uh, Egypt. Ancient Egypt. So this is, you know, Tony Browder has he does the um, Egypt on the Potomac tour. Throughout uh, Washington, D.C. And he shows you uh, how the layout of Washington, D.C. is actually a copy of the layout of ancient Egypt. And he shows you the symbolism, things like this. The Washington Monument is one of those. The Washington Monument is one of those. So these, so how's everybody doing? How's everybody doing uh, tonight or today? How's everybody doing? Uh, those just tuning in here, I'm Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show, a talk show host, researcher, lecturer, and writer. We're talking about a few different topics here. We're talking about uh, Donald Trump's response to uh, Merck Pharmaceuticals uh, CEO Kenneth Frazier uh, resigning from the uh, Manufacturing Council, the President's Manufacturing Council. We're talking about Charlottesville, Virginia, and updates on that. And uh, also, we're doing an overview of an online course that I teach called Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Okay, so this is a 12-hour, six-week online course that I teach. Um, we do the sessions live on uh, Fridays, um, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And all the sessions are recorded. So if you miss anything, you can go back and watch it over and over again. Um, we're going to post a link again here. So you can register for the course. As soon as you register, you can watch last Friday's course. We just started session one last Friday. Okay. So as soon as you register, you can uh, watch um, last Friday's course, last Friday's session. And then we we'll also we have about 20 hours of bonus content uh, for you to watch as well. And uh, you definitely, uh, you definitely learn a lot. Um, in this in this course okay you learn a lot about history everything we do deep we do we go deep into it so uh the course is only 40 dollars. all right so as soon as you register you can start watching content and um 
we appreciate the support because that helps support the African History Network, helps us to keep doing the research and stay on the air, keep broadcasting everything. All right. Okay. So um, we'll be here for a few more minutes. Let me see something here. We talk about uh, religion from a historical perspective also because that plays uh, that plays a part definitely with the transatlantic slave trade as well, because one of the reasons given for enslaving African people was said that these were non-Christians and they were heathens and savages, things like this. This is why when you study history, you, you understand why we have to be careful of using negative pejorative terms for African-Americans and we can't allow other people to use negative terms for us. And we can't put out media, we can't put out music that refers to us in dehumanizing terms because you relabel people with negative terms to then justify their mistreatment, to absolve your conscience of the way you're mistreating them and to also reduce the uh, chances of people coming to their defense. So you re so you put negative terms on people to then basically say, because they're in words, because they're heathens, because they're this, because they're that, they deserve this type of treatment. They deserve mass incarceration. They deserve long prison sentences. They deserve a war on drugs. Okay. They don't deserve to be treated humanely. They don't deserve investment in their communities. They deserve heavy over policing in their communities because they're criminals, because they're thugs, because we see uh, a uh, overrepresentation of them uh, on the evening news as criminals. Okay, they deserve to be choked by police, even though they say 11 times they can't breathe. And then an all white jury doesn't see anything wrong with the way the police act, because we have to be tough on those people, because this is the way these people are, because this person is a representative of the hundreds of thousands of images I've seen over the course of my life over how these people act. So we have to treat them accordingly. All this stuff is interrelated, interconnected. This is why Malcolm was correct when he said the media is the most powerful entity on earth. They have the power to make the innocent guilty and the guilty innocent. And that's power because they control the minds of the masses. Okay, so um, so we deal with, you know, some Christianity from a historical perspective as well. We deal with why Christmas is celebrated on December 25th, a number of different things. You know, um, Dr. Francis Crest Wilson correctly taught us as well as Nellie Fuller. If you do not understand European white supremacy and racism, what it is and how it works, everything else that you think that you understand will totally confuse you. If you do not understand European white supremacy and racism, uh, what it is and how it works, everything else that you think that you understand will totally confuse you. OK, uh, so we deal with that and we deal with uh, understanding. Uh, we deal with the origins of the word America, the origins of the word Africa. Africa was not named after Publius Cornelius Scipio Africanus, um, a Roman general. It was not the word Africanus. If you look at Cassell's Latin English Dictionary, 2002 edition, uh, page 11 of uh, the word Africa means belonging to Africa. The word Africanus means belonging to Africa belonging to Africa. 
Publius Cunius Scipio Africanus. First of all, his family's last name was not Africanus. It was Scipio. He took that surname after he conquered the region, after he conquers Carthage, right? Okay? Because you have the Afri that live in that region, okay? And uh, he took his surname after he conquers the region because the, the region was referred to, you have the term Afrique, okay? And then you have uh, Latinized, Latinized Africa, you have Afrique, the prefix Afri, which refers to a black African people who lived in Algeria and Tunisia. Tunisia used to be called Carthage, and you have the Punic Wars between Rome and Carthage, and the Carthaginians are the descendants of the Phoenicians. This is where you have Hannibal Barca. The Carthaginians are descendants of the Phoenicians, who are descendants of the Garamantes, a larger group called the Garamantes. Okay, so Africa is not named after Publius Cornelius Scipio Africanus. All right, we need to stop telling that myth. I don't know where the hell that myth came from, but we need to stop telling that myth. All right. Well, I also deal with the problem with slave movies, right? Slavery is part of our history, undeniably that. But the problem I have with the slave movies is that they don't deal with the history of African people in this country prior to, prior to slavery. There were more African people who were already here than those who came here during the transatlantic slave trade. There were already Af there were more African people who were already here than the numbers who came here during the transatlantic slave trade. So I have a whole section where we deal with um, the problem with the slave movies. And 2013 was known as the year of the slave themed films because there were seven slave themed movies that came out in 2013. So the problem is not necessarily movies about slavery the problem is is that the history of african people in this country prior to slavery is not told when they tell these slave movies when they have these slave movies which reinforce reinforces the 1619 myth the myth that our history started in this country august 20th 1619 and that's not true and even if you look at the spanish territory South Carolina was Spanish territory going back to the 1520s in in the Spanish were taking Africans into the territory that they call South Carolina in the 1520s. But this is about 100 years before Jamestown, Virginia, August 20th, 1619. OK, so this is one of the real problems I have with slave movies. Also, they are traumatic. It is it's, it's inflicting trauma upon us to see depictions of African people being beaten and raped and mutilated, things like this. It's inflicting trauma upon us. When the the Ma'afa, when the trauma against African people continues today. We talk about the cancel of the show underground also. Stephen Biko, one of our great South African freedom fighters correctly told us that the most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. The most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. Okay. As Bantu Stephen Biko. All right. So we deal with all this and a lot more. We deal with Columbus and Oh, okay. I got to tell you this before we leave. Right. So we have to stop lying to our children, telling them that Columbus discovered America. This is one of my pet peeves. 
because at least 70% of the people Columbus encounters on his four voyages were African people, number one. Number two, Columbus never came to the land we call the United States of America. And when I do, when I do presentations, when I travel, do presentations, things like this, I'm always surprised at how many people don't know this. I mean, adults. I was speaking at a church a few years ago, and there are people there, 60s, 70s, 80s. They almost fell out of their chair when I told them Columbus never came to this land we call the United States of America. So Columbus goes on four voyages between uh, 1492 and 1504. His first voyage, August 3rd, 1492, he sets sail on the Nina de Penta in the Santa Maria. He goes in the Bahamas, what they call San Salvador. He goes into Cuba, Hispaniola, which is later called Haiti, right? And you have the French and you have the Haitian Revolution, 1791, 1803. He goes into... Um, the West Indies and Boriquin or Puerto Rico and Jamaica, 1494. We know the British get control of Jamaica in 1655. Because what you're going to find is, once again, I talk about how important Columbus is to studying the transatlantic slave trade because Columbus and his four voyages are going to open up the so-called new world to other European nations coming in and fighting over these lands. These people are the descendants of these Germanic people, of these barbarians who have been fighting each other for hundreds of years and killing each other for hundreds of years. And they're going to continue with the transatlantic slave trade. Okay. The Anglos are descendants of the, uh, the English, the, the English were descendants of the Anglos. The, the uh, the the French were descendants of the Franks, okay. Uh, you're going to have these different Germanic people go into these areas. They're going to be little kingdoms at first, because when the Moors go into uh, the Iberian Peninsula in 711 A.D., it wasn't called Spain and Portugal at that time. These were just little kingdoms, okay. It's later going to be called Spain and Portugal. The Spain and Portugal are right next to each other, right? Those countries. But you're going to have these Germanic people that have villages, have kingdoms, things like this, and they're later going to become countries. But they have, they have been fighting each other and killing each other for hundreds of years. And then we're coming out of the Dark Ages, uh, coming out of the, the Black Death, the bubonic plague that hits Europe in spurts from 1347 to 1400 AD, and Europe loses between... 25 million to 75 million people because of the black death, the bubonic plague. They lose one quarter to one third of their population. You're having them in a race, in a competition to rebuild their respective European countries. And they're going out into other people's land, seeking territory. They're seeking riches, gold and silver and other minerals. They're seeking land to grow crops on. So sugar is going to become the number one crop. And sugar was king before cotton was king because the Moors are going to introduce sugar into Europe. They introduce sugar, alcohol, they introduce um, uh, soap, but they also introduce um, tobacco. They introduce sugar. Cotton is the other thing. That's what I was thinking of. Cotton as well. So the Moors are going to introduce cotton, sugar, and tobacco into Europe. And these are three of the top five, probably top five crops grown on plantations that you're going to find. And sugar cane 
because sugar comes from sugar cane. It has to be grown in tropical areas, warmer climates. The climate in Europe is not conducive to that. But the climate in these in these areas in the Caribbean and things like that, Central America is conducive to that. So you're going to find these large sugarcane plantations that are going to be uh, created. And you're going to find them in Cuba. And to this day, one of the top exports out of Cuba is sugar. OK, and this heavily goes back to the. Uh, large sugarcane plantations, slave plantations that the Spanish are going to set up in Cuba and Jamaica and Haiti, other places like that. So all this history, you know, history teaches you how to deal with the problems of the past uh, in the present and the future. History teaches you how to deal with the problems of the past in the present and the future. In 1498, he goes into Trinidad and Venezuela, mainland and South America. 1504 goes into Panama and Honduras. Okay. He never comes to the land we call the United States of America. All right. Uh, so we deal with a, we deal with a lot of stuff. We talk about Hannibal Barker. Uh, we do a lot of information there. Okay. So how's everybody doing? Um, how'd you like this type of information? How'd you all like this type of information? Uh, we're going to post a link to the online course. You can register for Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. This is a 12-hour, six-week online course that I teach. We deal with thousands of years of history once, once again. All the sessions are recorded. You can go back and watch it over and over again. Uh, we do it normally on um, Fridays. All right, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And as soon as you register, you can watch the last Friday session. Uh, also have a session I did the week before that. But last Friday was session number one. This past Friday, uh, August 11th, was session number one. Okay. And we have about 20 hours of bonus content you can watch as well. All right, as soon as you register. Okay. So, Jelanda said this was awesome. Erica, we love it. Uh, Cheryl Ann, love the information. Jen Lisa. Patrick, learn something every time I, I'm here. Your vet. Okay. All right, guys. And oh, also, okay, you can visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We have a lot of information there as well. You can read all of my articles there that I write. We have 800 uh, podcasts and episodes of our shows there, about 800 uh, connected to our YouTube channel, Michael Limho Tubbs. We have about 750 video clips on our YouTube channel. You can order all my DVD lectures. Also, I have about 35 presentations. You can order all my DVD lectures. We have about 100 titles in total at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All right, and that helps us to um, stay on the air, keep doing our research, uh, doing what we do. And we'll post a link there also, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, okay? All right, let's see here. Uh, Elaine, okay. Uh, you have, um, um, who, who else is this? Who else we have here? We're here for a couple more minutes before we, we time out. Annette, how you doing, Annette? Um, Annette. And Franklin, 
How's it going? How's everybody doing? This is a very challenging weekend, man. This past weekend was just like crazy. This past weekend was just uh, crazy. All right, Elaine. Okay, I thought this was Elaine Riddick. I have talked about you in some of my presentations. Elaine, how are you doing, my sister? I'm sending you a friend request right now, Elaine. How are you doing? I saw that name. I said, wait a second. Is that? <laughs> so that name looks familiar. <laughs> okay. All right. So, um, all right. Annette said maintaining. Annette said good. Okay, I just sent you a friend request, Elaine. Um, who else do we have here? Okay, so those in the Detroit area, um, this weekend, Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. Uh, go to the right.org, W R I G H T, the right.org. 